I'm here with John, and uh, we're at the Stone Campbell Conference, and uh, we have started a group at the Stone Campbell Conference, and John uh, has presented a paper. Uh, John, ex- uh, describe what's the title of your paper and the basic premise? The title of my paper is The Nonviolent Epistemological Premise of the Declaration and Address. So the idea you're trying to, what you're you're making a claim here, that uh, the the theology, uh, the key theology on unity that I guess is expressed in the Declaration and Address, is directly connected to uh, pacifism or the peaceableness of uh, Thomas Campbell, and that Alexander Campbell too then. Uh, that both of them are, that there is a significant or the significant theological uh, idea of unity in the Restoration Movement, you're saying is directly connected to their views on peace. Is that right? Yes. I think that there is probably a loose association in their minds, but a quick read of the Declaration and Address and a quick survey of the pacifistic views that both men held, I think it's obvious that these two themes fit together. Uh, and so the idea is that, uh, explain, how, uh, make the connection for us. Why, what's the connection between unity? Why is this, uh, uh, and nonviolence, why is this a necessary connection? I think violence can be characterized by division and then also agonistic struggle. And unity is always uh, attributed to peace. So not to say that peace is that just opposite of violence. It's actually a positing of something. Uh, and unity is a positing of something. Unity is a very active thing that has to be pursued. And in the thought of Alexander Campbell, unity and peace are connected and direct opposition to violence. He actually writes that way in the Millennial Harbinger and preaches that way some. But there is the odd issue, and this is what I address in the paper, that in the life of Alexander Campbell, he's also reluctant to speak out on peace and pacifism, especially during the times of the two wars that he would have lived through in the United States, mainly because he's afraid the issue will become divisive. And I think, you know, the fa- this may seem more of a failing than it is, because clearly he's, uh, he's thinking that peaceableness is important. But your point about his not speaking out is simply that he did not want to connect uh, uh, pacifism then with the direct issues of not fighting in these wars. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, so yeah, there's several reasons why he doesn't speak out. And it's not that he's hiding his pacifism. Everybody knows he's a pacifist. So he's already made that clear in print. And during times of peace in the United States, he was willing to talk about it much more. He's afraid that whenever these wars come up, it's a Mexican-American war and then the Civil War later, at that point in time in this country, one could actually speak out against militarism, nationalism, and patriotism without being... You know, called treasonous. <laughs> the atmosphere is not that free today, um, and so you had a lot of groups actually that were against war and against, uh, especially the Mexican War, American War, and the Civil War. And Campbell did not want 
his specifically theological ideas to get wrapped up in just common anti-war sentiment. So he really was connecting the idea of Christianity and pacifism necessarily. That those two things fit together. But isn't it, uh, I I think one of the things that you reference in the paper is the fact that if you're thinking Thomas Campbell, Thomas is not that far removed from Mm. a period in which Christian disunity was not just people uh, arguing with each other, it was people killing each other. Yeah, so I think Thomas Campbell in some ways is more interesting in this aspect than Alexander Campbell is. Thomas Campbell, of course, is a European for most of his life. Uh, His family was Scottish, but he ends up living in Ireland and preaching in Ireland, and he's a teacher as well. And he's in Northern Ireland because he's a Scottish Presbyterian. And so you already have the religious divide in Ireland that will erupt on several occasions in bloody war. And as a European uh, in the 19th and also in the 18th century, where he was born earlier on in the 18th century, he has the sensibility that people don't just argue about religion, but people are always willing to fight wars between Roman Catholics and Protestants, and then other Protestant groups end up fighting wars against each other. And so it is very violent. Division or disunity among the sects is very violent. And something that both... Um, Campbells are aware of is that in most of the creeds of their own Scottish Presbyterian Church as well as the Anglican Church um, there are articles justifying violence for Christians and this is one of the reasons they are against creedalism because a part of the sectarianism is violent sectarianism you know this is uh, the thing that Denny Weaver makes in connection even with early creeds that the creeds then make room for it may not be that they uh, specifically uh, you know give you know open positive reinforcement but they make room for uh, the necessary violence of a Constantinian Christianity so yeah I'm sure there must be a link with Empire and church do not go together without the church being coerced into becoming a justification for violence. So the, 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 the drive toward unity, and maybe this is the, the Campbells, you know, they have this drive toward unity, but maybe they're not getting, or are they? You think they're getting the full political uh, impetus uh, in the sense that you know, of the uh, unique situation of the church. Alexander Campbell, and his he's just written so much more for us to have than Thomas Campbell. Alexander Campbell is very cosmopolitan in the sense that he realizes, even in the 19th century, that the church is a global institution. So even though the American Restoration Movement is very much that in its early days, an American Restoration Movement that has roots... And uh, even sympathies for several groups in the British Isles, but still that's uh, almost a very singular culture still that's being mentioned. Uh, So it's interesting that Alexander Campbell is willing to realize that there are Christians in every nation, and he actually defines the term Christian nation as just being the Christians worldwide, so the kingdom of God, although 
he wouldn't use those words. That's the idea, is that okay. Christians in general, that's the, that is the only type of Christian nation that there is. And so he comes very close to saying, uh, what is the, you know, the, uh, the Mennonite idea, that, that at a minimum that we probably should not shoot one another as Christian brothers and sisters. Yeah, well, I mean, he says that in other words directly. That we wouldn't go to war. In other words, his idea of pacifism is that, uh, well, you don't shoot your Christian, uh, and you wouldn't shoot somebody in a Christian nation. Well, what's a Christian nation? Well, somebody with a Christian in it. Yes, yeah. So he's not making the mistake of equating, uh, you know, uh, secular nation states or this world's nations with the church, but is what you're saying is, it? I mean, is it? But it doesn't seem to be a fully articulated idea, but it seems to be, in a sense, a guiding idea in his uh, theology. Yeah, I think that's true. So, um, of course, the Declaration and an address written by Thomas Campbell, not Alexander Campbell. You see all of these really well thought out statements that just necessarily imply pacifism because of the unity that's being argued for. Can you give us some examples? Uh, of yeah, that? I'll read. Uh, actually, first, just to talk about the unity of the Declaration and Address, this is no naive, let's reestablish the unity of the early church, but. Thomas Campbell says that the Church of Christ upon earth is essentially, intentionally, and constitutionally one, consisting of all those in every place that profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him in all things according to the scriptures. So for Thomas Campbell, uh, he's writing this before Alexander Campbell makes it to the United States for a little bit of historical context. For Thomas Campbell, unity isn't something to be established, but it's something that's already been established by Christ. And he builds off of this idea uh, up until the point where he ends up talking about uh, division as being a horrid evil. And so I'll pull up the quote. The, the, you know, this is a thing I think we all... This hit me the other day, and I've, I've done a couple of podcasts on it. It, it. It's a kind of throwaway line that you just went, went through there. And that is that... Uh, that the unity is one that's already there. It's not yeah. that we create this thing. You know, the same thing in terms of the church. It's not that you're going to create koinonia. It's that the koinonia or the fellowship or the unity of the saints, oh, no, that's the thing that is given to us. Mm-hmm. And so that makes a world of difference, uh, In I think, in our orientation to it, that it is not a matter of work of uh, even the New Testament creating this. But the thing is, we don't do anything uh, that would displace it. We preserve it. And so that... Well, we, that we abide in it. Yeah, we yeah. abide in it. Yeah. 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 And so it, that I, I think I've often heard, you know, the discussion of unity in regard to the Campbells. And I kind of miss that, that they're saying something quite profound mm-hmm. there. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I think so. And so then with that point, he can say in Article 10 of the Declaration and Address that division among the Christians is a horrid evil fraught with many evils. It is anti-Christian as it destroys the visible unity of the body of Christ as if it were divided against himself, as if he were divided against himself, talking about Christ, excluding and excommunicating a part of himself. It is anti-scriptural as being strictly prohibited by his sovereign authority, a direct violation of his express command, 
It is anti-natural as it excites Christians to contempt, to hate, and to oppose one another, who are bound by the highest and most endearing obligations to love each other as brethren, even as Christ has loved them. In a word, it is productive of confusion and of every evil work. And after that statement, I, I think that saying peaceableness is implicit in the declaration and address becomes obvious. Because division is the opposite of peaceableness. Mm -hmm. Division gives rise, literally, in his time, or right, mm -hmm. to violence. But, you know, this is, this is kind of the paper that I did, but on Romans uh, 7, that division then can describe an ecclesial class, you know, and uh, a kind of problem within the church, an ecclesiastical problem, but it also then describes the problem of the human subject, so that I think by the time you finished Romans 7, that Paul's picture of sin is, in fact, dividedness, mm -hmm. a dividedness within the self, so that if someone, you know, it, can Christ be divided? God forbid. That's sort of like Paul saying... Shall we sin that grace may abound? Same sort mm -hmm. of uh, you know equation that's taking place there. Yeah, and I mean all throughout Paul's letters in Galatians, the fear that there's a group that are threatening to divide the church prompts Paul to anathematize, <laughs> to curse them from the presence yeah. of God. Uh, so it's a very central theme, unity in the New Testament, but it necessarily accompanies peace, especially for Paul, as this is the way sin is overcome in our lives. We, we are reconciled to God. We are reconciled to each yeah. other. Is that, That's in uh, Corinthians, right? That he's, I've quoted several places yeah, <laughs> at this that, point. Yeah. Well, the idea of, uh, I mean, that sh shall we follow Apollos? Shall we follow? Yes. Yeah, that's in Corinthians. And is, you know, can Christ be divided? Yes, yeah. And so he's he's giving us, you know, if you said that about anybody but Christ, or you said that about anybody but the body of Christ, well, yes, we are a divided people. And so when we fall into division, uh, dividedness, I think Paul's saying, you've fallen out of Christ. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and this and then if you equate sin, dividedness, and violence. I think you get at the sense mm -hmm. of the, the sort of unity that they're promoting. Yes, I think so. So, in the, uh, in, why have we missed this? I guess that's the, the big issue. Well, that's the question that I was asking, and it comes back to something that we mentioned just a moment ago, that Alexander Campbell is one who was looked to as sort of the guy who had the answers during this time period, especially by Christians in these new independent-type Christian churches, Disciples of Christ Churches, whatever they called themselves at this point in time. But also, even more than that, I, he was a major figure for American religion and during this time period. And he was reluctant to preach about pacifism during the two key wars, American wars, of the 19th century uh, that shaped the United States, anyway. I mean, we might think about the War of 1812, Campbell wasn't, he was young, he wasn't speaking in this sense, but that war really doesn't shape the United States as much as the Mexican-American War you know, 
solidifies westward expansion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, we know how violent that was. <laughs> and oh. then also uh, the Civil War, which has probably shaped the United States more than any other war. And it's odd that why Campbell doesn't speak up is because he's afraid that the issue itself might cause division. But that's only before the war. That's when he's immediate to the situation. This is one of the few times that Alexander Campbell reflects on something and really admits that he's gotten it wrong, but furthermore, he says that he's ashamed. One of his few expressions, I'm quoting Craig Watts' book, Disciples of Peace, one of his few expressions of regret took place shortly after the Mexican-American War. He, Campbell, declared uh, he was ashamed that he had not expressed more fully his opposition to war and support for nonviolence just prior to the outbreak of hostilities. As that idea is pursued, why that's the case for Campbell is because he realizes that not speaking up for nonviolence and pacifism and, and actively trying to get Christians to participate in peace unleashed a violence that weaponized Christianity as an ideology in both of those wars. So Campbell was quick to condemn any type of preaching that justified war uh, during these time periods, something that even, I mean, maybe he just thought, no matter how divisive that's going to be, he's not going to stand for uh, preachers preaching war and violence from the pulpit because he sees it contra to the mission of Christ. So, first off, Christians shouldn't be killing each other because we're in the bonds of brotherly and sisterly love. Mm-hmm. But second, the mission of Christ that we're given is one of evangelism and outreach, and you cannot do that violently. No, you can. It's just it's not Christianity anymore. I mean, I mean, the whole scene is kind of interesting because you have, you know, who who all who who are the pacifists that you know among. Who you have uh, Thomas and Alexander and who uh, Ben Barton Warren Stone, Raccoon John Smith, um, Benjamin Franklin, uh, and then there's a whole another second generation of pacifists: Tolbert Fanning, David Lipscomb. A lot of the Southern Christians were pacifists during the Civil War, and so we have a movement whose can we say their key leaders were pacifists, and within you know. Uh, a very short period uh, I mean today it's Mm -hmm. nearly completely lost yes so even uh, you know some people might want to make an appeal if they're in a part of the restoration movement uh, like the disciples of Christ but Craig Watts' book on this which was written in 2005 is the first book written on restoration the restoration movement and peace since, I believe, um, the 1950s. And so I'm not saying that authoritatively, just from my quick perusal of the sources available. And he is reintroducing the idea of pacifism into the Disciples of Christ. Not that there was a complete lack of awareness, Mm -hmm. but he writes his book for the very purpose of reintroducing the idea. Mm -hmm. I think in the same way the Churches of Christ especially in areas where they might claim a heritage from David Lipscomb or Tolbert Fanning, have pacifistic tendencies, but that is completely lost on the majority of Churches of Christ. We're coming, you know, we're, we're arriving at a, a definition that of division is violent. 
uh, division is sinful, can there be a uh, you know a kind of advocation or advocacy of a Christianity that is in fact founded in a division, whether it's uh, the personal you know this is all goes back to our reading of Romans seven in terms of the human subject, but it also goes back to just our understanding. In other words, the the divisiveness and the violence are directly connected. So I guess the the question is, can you be a Christian, uh, a violent Christian, or is that a completely oxymoronic (laughs) equation? We'll let you decide. (laughs) You have a quote there, I think, from Craig Watts. Uh, along those lines. Uh, Let's close with your your Craig Watts quote. Watts says, I believe the memory of the church's pacifist past should not be suppressed, but rather be brought to the surface. If some choose to reject it for themselves, let them do so without claiming it is a legitimate part of who we are as the churches that grew from the reform movement of which the pacifist Alexander Campbell was at the forefront. If we're going to be true restorationists, we have to embrace nonviolence. But of course, I think if, before the same reasons, if we're going to be true Christians, mm-hmm. we have to reject nonviolence. And anything less than that. We have to accept nonviolence. We have to reject violence. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Thank you. Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> what did I say? I said, we, that yes, we have to reject violence. <laughs> I need you here to uh, the the idea that in other words the question is that that we've got the the problem of a Christianity that seems uh, to not that that simple equation I mean that just seems so obvious I think so alright thank you Joe